In the name of Jesus, amen. Today, the fifth Sunday after Pentecost in the second year of our three-year cycle of readings is the only time we get anything from the book called Lamentations. Seems it was written by the prophet Jeremiah, same guy that wrote that book, uh, sometime around just after 587 B.C., the year the holy city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. Now the words we get from chapter 3 of Lamentations are absolutely beautiful words. Poetry bespeaking the mercies of God and his great faithfulness. We'll sing a, a, a wonderful hymn based on these words a little bit later. But i got to tell you, in reading these words, and only these words from the book of Lamentations, it feels a bit dishonest, kind of like cheating. Uh, for you see, as beautiful as they are, out of the whole five chapters, they're about the only beautiful words. The rest are absolutely horrific. The destruction of Jerusalem, cataclysmic in every way, gets described graphically. Smashed walls, crushed houses, desecrated temple, countless executions, horrors committed against women and children, I will not detail here, but which are detailed in the bits we did not read. The bit we read, calm, confident confession sounds like, from someone who could not be more sure of his God's loving presence. But even if they are that, they come sandwiched between two and a half chapters on either side, sandwiched between the cries and anguish of someone who's witnessed all that destruction, who's lost everything. In chapter 3, he's called the strong man who was supposed to be able to defend those women and children, but instead, impotent, was forced to sit by and watch them happen. The words we read, beautiful, they sound like they're from someone standing on firm ground. But the rest is from someone who doesn't know which way, which way is up. At one point he'll be confessing his sins, saying, Lord, it's my unfaithfulness, the faith unfaithfulness of my people which has caused this. The next he's screaming at God, saying, Lord, it's way too much. You've gone off the rails. This is way too much. He, he doesn't know if he should believe in God or he should hate him. He doesn't know if God is his friend or maybe his disciplinarian. Right before our text, God is his enemy, filling him with arrows. Pew, pew, pew. It's a man in absolute mind and soul-wrenching agony, the kind that makes reason go forth half sail and his tongue walk on stilts, drunk with grief. In the words just before our text, he laments, I have forgotten what happiness is. Talk about raw. And talk about honest. You know this guy's heart. Honest. That's what hits me. Probably hits it's a lot of people when you read these, these, these graphic laments. What hits you most that honesty hits you most, perhaps because we're not used to be hit, being hit with that kind of honesty. Okay? We, we live in a world, mostly anyway, <laughs> where that kind of raw expression of pain is almost tacky. How are you? 
I mean, I know you're feeling crappy, but please don't say that because that would make both of us feel uncomfortable. (laughs) To express real doubt is downright gauche. If you're going to complain about something, please make sure it's something that I can fix and suggest a solution to. But the unfixable, the sort of stuff you kind of just have to to sit with that doesn't make sense, why don't you just keep that to yourself? A little too embarrassing to let it leak out. Which is why, when you see it leaking out in something like the tear-streaked poetry of Lamentations, you notice. We talk here about the, the, uh, the inerrant revelation of God, the Bible, is God's inerrant revelation, as we should, for it is. But words like this make us ask just what is being revealed. And here, more than anything else, I think what is being revealed is what we conceal. The inerrant revelations of the pain and doubt and grief that we erroneously conceal from each other. And also from ourselves. And so it's raw and graphic and frankly hard to read as much of it is. That's why the book of Lamentations is also so darn refreshing. We read it and say, finally, finally someone's saying what they really think. (laughs) It makes me think of something that happened at my my daughter's school uh, sometime over this this past year, actually with uh, one of my oldest daughter's friends. I won't give you the whole backstory, but he had a lot going on in his life at the time. Stressors at home, school, other places, probably COVID had something to do with it. Things finally came to a head one day after some, some folks, kids he thought were his friends, kind of ratted on him or something. He finds out about it right in the middle of history class, stands up, flips over a desk, storms out of the classroom, sprints down the hallways of his Christian school, yelling at the top of his lungs, blank you all, blank you all, replete with the raised double-handed mono-digital salutes you're all familiar with. (laughs) Got the image. Holy cow. Now... I kind of wish that maybe my first reaction had been something like, well, I sure hope he gets some help, which he did, by the way. Uh, But if I'm honest, my my first reaction was, well, good for him. A little chuckle. At least he's honest. At least he let people finally know what he was actually thinking. And I think I reacted that way because we've all been there. Just barely enough energy to keep the lid from flying off like his lid, in fact, did fly off. In fact, I don't think it's too much to say that that young man summarized in a few choice words and hand gestures a whole lot of what the poet of Lamentations expresses in the entire book, except for the select passage we heard, which included this. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But this I call to mind, he starts. It's almost as if he's running down the hall, mid-flying uh, flying off the, the handle, losing it. As 99% of his mind is flaming, with 1% he remembers something. Oh, 
something he'd learned, something that at a calmer time he'd learned to love. That that somehow been sunk into his soul. Now, given what he's been through now, he only hears it as a distant rumor. It's something he wants to be true, something even in all his anger and grief he has trouble believing, but still clings to as just maybe true. That the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That despite it all, God is not done loving him, has not given up on him yet. That even though he doesn't see them, and perhaps they're not exactly the mercies he would choose, they they are mercies still new every morning. Because God is faithful. And God's faithfulness is greater than whatever he's going through. But again, and this is the reason I spent half the sermon leading up to it, This is not something he comes to easily. To say so would be cheating. Given the fact that as soon as he's done saying this, if we've kept reading the book, he's back to screaming. The calm trust is not something he's able to hold on to for very long, but it's there. But this I call to mind. Something, some light that keeps coming back to him. Something which keeps being given to him even in the midst of all that. Hmm. And if you watch The Voice, I know not much of a segue, but the TV show. Some folks in our house watch it. I caught an episode a, a few weeks ago and there was a, a woman singing Jane uh, Mark Zuski, I think maybe. Her her uh, her stage name is Nightbird. Great singer. In fact, she sang so well that Simon Cowell gave her the golden buzzer, which means she gets to go straight through to the final round of the competition. She got the buzzer for her singing. But I'm guessing also for her story. Uh, Jane is 30 years old and on her third bout with cancer. She weighs about 80 pounds and has a 2% chance of survival. Her husband greeted the news of her first diagnosis by telling her he wanted a divorce. To keep it together, instead of flipping desks, she sings. And like the, the Jeremiah of Lamentations, she also writes. And this is from one of her posts some of you may have seen. It's kind of long, but worth it. Though in a different way, it's inspired by the same Holy Spirit that inspired Lamentations. The first part, she talks about being sitting on the the bathroom floor, vomiting uh, from her sickness. I've had cancer three times now, and I have barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the door to let myself in. Other times, 
I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I have called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I have told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become my only prayer. Prayer rolls down over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want to. That is fair. Call me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened, but count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his exhale laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us, and I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander. Answering prayers, they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look for answers, for look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means what is it? That's the same question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? What is it? I see mercy, mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees my mother's crooked hands and the blanket my friend left for me in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but will repeat until I do. Call me cursed. Call me lost. Call me scorned. But that's not all. Call me chosen blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I'm the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden for me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is there even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough, and it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. There's not much I can add to that. It's probably good because this sermon is getting a little bit long. Maybe just this. Uh, If things are, are super for you right now, And so that something like that, the book of Lamentations, doesn't really do it for you. Uh, Well, two things. Thanks be to God. And just wait. But if you have or are having trouble holding it all together, or count yourself among the angry, the cynical, the offended, and the hardened, know that God counts you as his friend. If you spent some time on the bathroom floor, or are there now, God is there with you. 
God is there on the bathroom floor with you because he was on the cross for you. And if you find that hard to believe, which we all do, at least from time to time, I am very glad you're here because it is my only job and the job of the lamenters seated about you to bear witness to the fact that the rumors are indeed true. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Christ is risen. God is not finished loving you. His faithfulness is great. His faithfulness is greater than whatever you are going through now and whatever you will go through. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.